welcome to episode 36 of Role, Play, Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I am Courtney Stover of Lighthearted Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands in the tabletop roleplay gaming space about who they are and how they are turning their passion for gaming into a career. Anna Holden is the founder of D&D Disability, a company that she began to help bring disability awareness to D&D. She works with a team of consultants to create supplements to allow players to bring disabilities into the world of D&D. I actually had the privilege of working with her on a supplement for POTS, which stands for Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. And it was honestly a really cool experience to think of my own chronic illness in a fun way and translate it to D&D mechanics. We dive into Anna's processes for writing and creating these supplements, as well as the journey D&D disability has taken over the last year. Anna is also a talented dice maker and is able to use these dice to support herself full time. We also get to have a fun discussion about how she's been able to grow this dice business in conjunction with D&D disability and while managing her own disabilities, which really is a full time job in and of itself. Anna is making some extraordinary strides in bringing more visibility to disabilities, and it was an honor to bring this interview to you. If this is your first time tuning in to Roleplay Grow, welcome! This podcast is a part of Lighthearted Adventures, which is a small company I co-founded with my husband. We offer a weekly blog on our website where you'll find tips for running games, free monthly one-shot adventures, product reviews, and more. You'll find that blog at lightheartadventures.com. Brenton also creates beautiful dungeon maps, both on DMs Guild and on a commission basis. He's currently working on a series of map packs for Wild Beyond the Witchlight. There will be five packs total, one for every chapter, and they offer a look at some additional locations in the adventure. You can find all of those by going to DMs Guild and searching for Lightheart Adventures as the author, or by going to lightheartadventures.com shop to find all our DMs Guild and drive-thru RPG publications in one spot. Some other ways you can support us and this show are by subscribing to the show and leaving a review. Reviews help me reach more people, and if you leave it on Apple Podcasts, your review might even get featured on an upcoming episode. Lastly, you can support the show by checking out some of our amazing affiliates, like the creator behind some of our favorite dice, Dice Envy. They offer gorgeous dice in a variety of materials, including wood, metal, stone, and resin. Go to DiceEnvy.com and enter code LIGHTHEARTADV to get 10% off your order, get some snazzy dice, and help me keep this show running. That is all for now, so please enjoy this conversation with Anna. Today, I am so very excited to introduce y'all to the founder of D&D Disability, Anna Holden. And... Anna, I'm just going to say, I'm really excited to get to chat with you today, and I'm so glad you're here. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. To kick things off, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into gaming? Well, I'm Anna. I am 21, and I have been gaming since the beginning of 2020. My friend at the time actually uh, started up a new campaign, and it was my first venture into D&D. So I actually have not been doing this for a super long time. It's only been about a year and a half, and I ventured a little bit into other TTRPGs since then, but I mostly work in D&D. Awesome. Are you playing in any campaigns right now? I am. I have a couple going on right now. Well, one of them's kind of like on hiatus right now, but the other one we're meeting bi-weekly, I think. Having a lot of fun with that. What's your character like? Um, I play Saint, who is actually an NPC that I put on D&D Disability, 
but she is a necromancer who was killed and then brought back by a uh, not very good necromancer, but that is how she ended up getting connected to the necromancy. And so now she is in this campaign. She's kind of she's working on paying off the debt by doing tasks and things for this group. Maybe a little bit of crime, not for <laughs> allegedly, you know, for legal reasons. No, but yeah, a little bit of crime. <laughs> that sounds really cool. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dig into D and D disability. So, what can you tell us about what that is? Uh, D and D disability is something that I started to help promote, advocate more for disability inclusion in the D&D and TTRPG space because there were only a few people sort of doing that thing and a lot of people who were not for it. And so we definitely needed some better voices for it, uh, more voice for it. And so what I do is I write disability mechanics and supplements and NPCs and just all things that help get disability and that inclusion more immersed in the world. So far, I think we have like six or seven mechanics for different disabilities. And we always have people with those disabilities consulting on it. So we try to be as you know respectful as possible and make sure that they're really customizable because disability is, it's different in every person. Two people can have the exact same disability and have completely different ways that it presents. So we definitely try to make sure that People are able to represent themselves and their disabilities in their characters should they choose to and be able to, you know, have that in their world. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I know that I got to work with you on one of those supplements. Mm-hmm. So like that was fun because I was also like super new to that diagnosis. But can you maybe give an example of one of those just for anyone who's not familiar with how the mechanics could work? Yeah, um, the most recent one that I did is POTS, which was actually, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which I was in the process of being diagnosed with. And the way that we set it up is that there are different levels of intensity, I guess is the best word for it, because some people with POTS will faint every time they stand up, every time they, you know, run or do anything that uh, changes position too quickly. And some people with POTS just never pass out. I am I am one of those people. I very, very rarely ever pass out. So the way that we set it up was that you could have different levels of that characters who pass out more or characters who almost never pass out and set the, uh, the rest of the mechanics after that around that. The ones who pass out more frequently have higher DC saves for not passing out because they are more likely to. And those who never pass out have a low, low DC. I think it's like DC five to pass to not pass out. And that way we made it so that it was super customizable. And that way you could kind of, you could kind of mix and match with it. If you're someone who maybe doesn't pass out a lot, but you still have pretty bad other symptoms, you can kind of use the different DCs that you think best fit your character. I would love to know about kind of the whole process that you take. How do you decide what the next disability is that you want to focus on? And then, you know, your process for finding the consultants and then just the whole thing from like decision to publication. Yeah. um, Sometimes I usually have like a few in mind that I feel like I'm ready to tackle because sometimes there's ones that I'm just I know I'm not ready for. Sometimes I will put a a poll up on the Dini Disability Patreon and sometimes I will just consult our Discord group to kind of get votes or ideas of what people are really wanting to see right now. And once that has been settled, I will take it to Twitter 
and ask for consultants, people who have that disability and are willing to give me input, especially because several of these times now, it's not a disability that I myself have. And so I wanna make sure that I am being as true to it as possible. So I usually get three to five consultants on it and they help me through the whole process. What it starts with is usually just a Google Doc with symptoms and kind of some vague ideas like, hey, that symptom could translate to you know, this kind of save, this sort of like roll table. And we just kind of slowly build it. I will do a little bit and then give it to the consultants to get their thoughts, uh, opinions, what they think will work, what won't work. And then I take all of that feedback and I go back in and I make another draft, which is more structured, has, you know, broken down by symptom or group of symptoms, what might go with it. And it's just kind of a back and forth for a few, a few weeks. Usually I'm a little bit behind on one right now, but of the consultors making sure that it's accurate, that things we're, we're doing are going to translate well into mechanics because we want to make sure that it's not being portrayed badly. But it is kind of a long process. It can be a bit tedious going back and forth and going over the same thing over and over again because we just can't quite nail it down. But yeah, it usually takes a few weeks before we're feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, that's really cool. Like, How did you get into writing? Well, I actually had been like general creative writing for the majority of my life. I used to be more into like novel creative writing, short stories, that sort of thing. Um, when I got into D&D, that kind of spoke to me a lot more. And it's a writing form that is, it kind of fits better with um, my work style and what I like to focus on. So it's been, been doing that for a little over a year now. It's been pretty fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I would love to know about like how you went from, you know, as you mentioned, the novel kind of background and then transitioned into doing this work for D&D Disability and, you know, like all of your writing projects. Was there anything that inspired you to get started? Like, how did you decide that you were going to start publishing? Just I would love to hear about that journey. Well, for D&D Disability specifically, I kind of I kind of launched that in December 2020. But a couple months before that, I was creating a character for a new campaign. And this was a little bit after I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is chronic pain. And it was kind of a way to help me process that was giving this character chronic pain. And so my DM and I made a very, very basic version of the chronic pain mechanics that are out now. So I just kind of rolled with that. I played with that for a couple of months and then realized, hey, maybe other people would want this too. Maybe there is a place in the D&D community for this kind of thing. And so, you know, I made them into what they are now, which is much, much longer than the first version that we had, and just put it out there. It was kind of an impulse decision, but (laughs) here we are now. That's really cool. So I know that you've got a lot of the mechanics available directly on your website, but I think you've got some other projects that are on DM's Guild or DriveThruRPG, is that right? Yeah, I have on one on DMs Guild, a couple on DriveThru, and then Itch has been my main platform right now. I have two D&D adventures. Um, one I wrote end of last year uh, about a place where the Feywild and the main realm overlap, which was a lot of fun. And then my newest one is Night Festival, which is about a lovely festival in a city with some very, very dark secrets kept underneath it when people start going missing. And then besides that, I have one that was kind of more of like a personal project instead of one that a lot of people would want, but it is working dog stats for D&D, 
So it is five different types of working dogs that I built stats together for, um, like a protection dog, a herding dog, things like that, which was really fun for me. Definitely not my most popular project, but it was extremely fun for me. (laughs) Yeah. How do the working dogs work? Yeah. Each dog has their um, basic stats, you know, HP, everything like that. And then they all have different things that they can do. Some of them are not actually suited to combat and do not really have any combat options, but they do have options like the herding dog, for example, has commands and things that they can do to, in combat, move enemies towards you so that they are within range that you can attack. And then there is one that I did that is the thief's dog, which I actually kind of based around trick performer dogs in AKC which what this dog does is it has various options for tricks and like skills that it knows that you can use to help you, but it doesn't really do combat. They all have like different little things that they do and the dog will only listen to the owner and does not act without commands. So it wasn't like super overpowered or anything. That sounds really fun, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I have a dog myself that we do, you know, trick training. We're in IGP, which is protection, obedience, and tracking. And so he was kind of my inspiration for that too. That's awesome. And then I believe you had something like a guide to service mimics that came out. Yes, that is probably my favorite thing I've done through d Disability. This actually came out of the same campaign that my first disabled character was in, was the idea of mimics that were friendly, like could be trained, you know, And we just kind of ran with it because we thought it would be really fun. And so a guide to service mimics has 10, I think. Don't quote me on that. I have not flipped through it in a while and I have brain fog. (laughs) It has 10 different service mimics, which are mimics that have been trained through this little service program that I have a couple NPCs for there as well to be different, you know, aids for disabled people. There is one that is a wheelchair that kind of has like spider legs so that can get around over like rough terrain and everything. There is a blocking cloak, which is one of my favorites. That one was inspired by the blocking task that service dogs can do, where they kind of put themselves between you and other people to give you space. The blocking cloak can sense if you are uncomfortable or like not happy with people getting close around you and will lash out at anybody around with, you know, lovely mimic teeth and scare them away. And that one's my favorite. <laughs> so I am curious on, for like this publication and then for the Service Dogs publication, like did you use consultants on those or like what was your process for creating those? On a guide to service mimics, we did have consultants for various things. There is a hearing aid mimic in there and a kind of like a service dog mimic slash mobility aid mimic in the form of a dog with eyes covered all over it. It's a seeing eye mimic. We thought that was extremely funny. (laughs) We pulled on consultants for those things, for sight, hearing. We had one for the wheelchair as well, because at the time, none of us had those specific disabilities or experiences. So we wanted to make sure that it was accurate and well represented uh, before we put it out there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What I'm curious about now is that I know that Like, how do you keep these mechanics, like, more balanced so that, you know, a player that wants to have, like, POTS or the chronic fatigue mechanics for one of their characters, you know, there's 
going to be some downsides to it of like there's extra mm-hmm. checks like you were talking about for fainting and stuff. So how do you keep it balanced so that there's still a way to highlight, I guess, the good that could be there? Yeah, we don't like to specifically put it in there as like negative versus positive things. We have things that kind of, you know, are naturally there, like in the sensory processing disorder mechanics, they have disadvantage on, you know, perception checks in really bright light, because that is a really bad sensory thing for a lot of people with SPD. So they have that kind of disadvantage. But we also do make sure that there are various, like, not bonuses, that's not the word I was going for, but definitely things that kind of give you a boost that you wouldn't really think of having a disability. You know, you don't really think of positive attributes for disabilities, at least most people don't. But pretty much all of the mechanics, um, the characters get constitutional proficiency because, I mean, if you know anybody with chronic pain, you know that we can tolerate so much before it becomes like on the level that somebody without chronic pain would start having a problem. And they also have medicine proficiency because we all we all know that we're our own doctors at this point. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find another one. I haven't gone through all of them in a while. We did create a feat for the chronic pain mechanics where they get a bonus. So basically it goes on a D10 rolling chart. So with this feat, whatever that level of pain is at the end of like at the end of the roll after you've, you know, subtracted some numbers from whatever aids they are wearing to help with chronic pain, the feat allows them to deal that additional level of damage, say five points of damage in spell attacks a couple of times because they're able to channel that pain into magical attacks, which we thought was a fun way to tie that in with the magic in the world still. Sometimes they'll get like advantage on concentration because you know, it is a lot easier to concentrate through like pain or um, other symptoms that you have. Like I get a lot of dizziness from my pots, but I can concentrate through it a lot better than somebody who, you know, hasn't been living with this for a while. So that's another one that we throw in there a lot. Yeah, I definitely liked the uh, thought with the pots mechanics on, you know, like, okay, well, what are some cantrips or some spells that would make things easier for you or like you'd have proficiency and be able to do this, even if you're not necessarily a spellcaster, just because you've like learned to work around the Mm -hmm. limitations. And the uh, autism and ADHD mechanics, both of those kind of have things with like hyper-focusing on stuff and special interests. And those definitely give advantages on doing things in the world and interacting with things that are a special interest for the characters or something that they're able to laser focus on, um, which is something that adds adds a little bit of another... uh, layer to it because yeah they'll be able to get advantage on things like that then to balance that out they also do have drawbacks like if they're super intensely hyper focusing on the one task they will have disadvantage on like perception and noticing things around them so we try to keep it level so it's not like all a bunch of negatives but it does it does keep it nice and nice and even yeah i think it's really cool and it definitely lends itself to making more diverse characters and being able to really mm-hmm. explore what yes. that's like. You know, honestly, it was really fun when we or when you had the pots one finished and had it published. Mm-hmm. I was able to show it to my husband and be like, "See, this is what I'm dealing with." <laughs> like in yeah. terms you can understand. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten that a lot actually. That like the ADHD mechanics help somebody explain their disability to you know a friend or family member, and same thing with like the chronic pain and like the levels of it. 
because the one to 10 scale is kind of based more on the one to 10 level of pain that chronic pain people feel where my six is probably somebody else's eight or nine. So that really has apparently helped some people explain that better to friends and family members, which I thought was a really cool uh, thing that I hadn't thought about that would come out of this, but it was really cool. Yeah, that is really awesome. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Like, that's so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, so I would love to talk about the kind of the items and supplements that you've got. So you've got like the joint braces, the light painkillers, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Yeah, um, the joint braces were kind of a no-brainer when we started getting into this because um, <laughs> I am covered a lot in braces and we figured that that would be a good way to give some like boosts to characters with chronic pain. And then, you know, various other mobility aids. We don't have a ton out right now, but they are slowly being worked on. And then the different painkillers were... Basically, we kind of based them around the light painkillers, the equivalent of ibuprofen or, you know, Tylenol, and the strong painkillers equivalent to something a lot stronger that you might actually have some problems with if you keep taking it too much. So we didn't, like just make it this easy, perfect solution to getting rid of all of the chronic pain. Are these items, are they things that typically have come up when you've been working on one of the mechanics projects? Yeah, we usually usually think of most of our items like while we're working on mechanics. Like that's where most of the ones I thought of have come from because I don't just sit down and brainstorm those. They kind of come out of it naturally. Like, yeah, painkillers for chronic pain. And I haven't made any of these yet, but things for POTS, like salt pills and stuff that can help give like a boost to, you know, the rolls that you make to save. And we just usually, they kind of come out of it naturally. Compression braces, again, for the pain or POTS. None of these have been done yet, but (laughs) they're on a list. We have a list. Totally. (laughs) I feel like that list has to be growing constantly. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll get it narrowed down. Like eventually it'll chip away at it, but. <laughs> All right. Hey, entrepreneurs. I love introducing you to new creators every episode, but I can really use your support. I would love to invite you to join our Patreon page where you'll gain access to behind the scenes content, add your questions to upcoming interviews, and you could even receive a shout out on our site and an upcoming episode. To learn more, go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. And now back to the show. I would love to learn about the disabled NPCs that you have made. Just a, a little bit about them generally, but then kind of how they came to be. And you know, if you're using them in any of, I think you mentioned that you are actually using one of them in your campaigns right now. But yeah, just tell me about your disabled NPCs. Well, most of them, I am not the one who created them. That was team member, they go by Perry now. I did not do most of those. The ones that I have done are Saint and Rowan, which I made for Disability Pride Month. The whole kind of theme that I was rolling with was just kind of characters with mobility aids who aren't going to take your, can I swear on here? I was going to say take your shit, but. <laughs> could take yes, you can swear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, who just don't really like take your shit for people who get a lot of shit for using mobility aids, I have personally. Um, so it was just kind of the goal was to create characters who were using mobility aids, but were still extremely powerful, incredible characters, like outside of that as well. Um, they're both level 15. So they were super fun for me to make. Saint was actually, she's my personal character, but I thought that that would make a fun NPC for people. And then I kind of went with the opposite of, you know, the necromancy with, you know, the forest guardian that is Rowan. 
I am going to be using both of them in an adventure that I am writing for D&D Disability because I am running the Accessible Adventure Jam on itch for D&D adventures that are written with accessibility in mind. And so the story kind of takes over two different parts and it uses both of those NPCs because that was really fun for me and wanted to use them. Oh, that is cool. What can you tell us about the Accessibility Jam? Basically, a lot of adventures are just not written with disabled character inclusivity in mind. If you were on Twitter when the one, the dungeon with ramps instead of stairs, if you saw all of the draw, like all the meltdown over people being like, well, that's not realistic or accurate. And then it's like, it includes, you know, wheelchair using characters, mobility aid characters, characters who struggle with getting up and down steps. So the basic premise of this is to just have, you know, one-shot adventures that are written, you know, like that, where things like stairs, ladders, stuff like that, it's just, there's other ways. Because the way I look at it is that all of the characters are going to face so many other challenges, I don't see why having stairs just to make it more difficult for, you know, mobility aid or disabled uh, characters has to be in there. They're already going to have their own challenges. It doesn't need to be, you know, like an ableist design challenge. So that is what the jam is for. We're just going to create a bunch of adventures that are written with that in mind and have them out there so that they're an option for people who are looking for adventures like that for, you know, on their streams or anything. And also because I do personally love promoting other disabled artists. So this is a very good way for me to be able to do that. Yeah, I think that is really cool. And I I do remember that drama and <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. It yeah. It it continues to be. Like and honestly, yeah. I really appreciate that like you are putting in the work and to bring to light these things that like this is normal. It is completely normal for disabilities to be out here. Yes, we should have representation in our games. Like, that's not a hard concept. It's a magic yeah. world. Like, <laughs> And I have never understood the determination that, you know, it has to be stairs. It has to be something that is inaccessible for people. Mm-hmm. In my adventure night festival, the way you get into the underground is through, like, a wide manhole cover, which, you know, usually those have, like, ladders to get down, which obviously would not work for wheelchair characters. So what I did, which actually, you know, made sense in the world because it was a mining town, is that they were like platforms that lowered up and down, kind of like a little elevator system that were wide enough for a wheelchair character to easily fit and they can lower up and down. And, you know, they would have been used for carts and heavy tools and things so that people didn't have to go up and down ladders. So it made sense in the world and was a very easy and like obvious way to still make it so that, you know, mobility aid using characters could easily you know be in the adventure they'll have a lot of trouble when they're down there from other things but not accessibility i love that so much yeah and i'm really excited to see the different adventures that come out of this jam i am too i'm really excited do you have a plan about how people will be able to get their hands on this will it all be published on like dm scale or drive through rpg it's all gonna be published on itch um and okay. possibly some people will put on drive through as well but I'm not positive. DM Skill makes you only publish there, so we're not using that platform. They also take 50% of your money, so yeah. we don't do that. We don't do that here. But no, the the jam is running from October 1st to December 1st, I think. Yeah, 
And at the end of it, I'm going to create like a bundle on there that will have all of them at a slightly discounted rate so that people can just buy all of them and support all of the different artists in one. And I'm really excited about that. I'll be promoting that a lot on Twitter once it's once we're done. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, this episode will be out before the end of that. So <laughs> it'll be on Twitter. Keep an eye out. <laughs> Perfect. Like, it's just, it's really cool and interesting. Like all of these different projects that you're working on, like you've got a lot going on. And so I would just love to know how you balance your time. Oh, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) That is something that I am still working on. Basically the way it goes is I prioritize the ones that I'm being paid for. Like I'm on a couple of paid projects right now. So I work on those. That is my priority because we have, you know, deadlines and stuff for that. My personal projects are kind of, you know, a little bit of an afterthought right now because I'm pretty busy, but I get to those afterwards. And usually in between that is the D&D disability stuff. That is basically a part-time job at this point on top of my full-time job. So (laughs) that I also kind of keep in there, but it is priority goes to the ones that I am on a paid deadline for. And I am not great at keeping track of everything. So I just have like notes everywhere. Yeah, I need a better process. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Well, yeah. So I know that at least as of the time of recording this, that there was something that just got announced that you were a part of uh, having to do with the Witchlight. Yes. Okay. That one was super fun. I was pulled on as a project lead for the Wild Beyond the Witchlight Attractions and Adventures, which is a carnival themed um, collection of attractions which are just like little carnival booths they're all based around a different fey creature Um, you know hags we had the blink dogs my favorite all of that and so there are I think over 20 different uh, attractions in there and 11 adventures we pulled from a bunch of riders and it is on DM's guild super fun as of right now I think we're over halfway to copper bestseller which is super cool but yeah, VJ and I, we got to put together a super, super cool team for that. And it was just a really, really fun project. But it was also kind of nice for me because I wasn't actually writing in it. I was just, you know, overseeing and helping keep people on deadlines and everything. And I got a, I got a little bit of a break from writing, but it is super, super fun. There's a lot in there. And even some very, very pretty art that we got to commission for it. Nice. How did you become a part of that project? Um, VJ had actually posted on Twitter that they had an idea for a project, but they didn't want to like completely take on running the whole thing by themselves. And so I just DM'd them and was like, hey, I've managed creative teams before. I would love to be part of this because it sounds super fun. And then we just went off from there. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes sliding into the DMs works. <laughs> Yes, it does. You know, and the worst thing you do is say no. <laughs> yeah. And so we got this very cool project out of it that we all had a lot of fun doing. And it was the first project of this for a lot of our writers. So it was their first time being published. So I was really excited to give them that opportunity. Nice. Okay. I would like to actually switch gears now and talk about some of the other things that you do, such as Three Fates Dice. Yes, I do make dice, which... I always get either awkward silence or like hesitant praise for that because nobody really knows how to respond to, yeah, I make dice for a living. So it's kind of funny. (laughs) Okay. 
well, please tell me about this company that you've got. Uh, tell me how, like, how did you get started? What kind of dice you make in? Just tell me all about it. Um, well, how I got started is that, well, I mean, I really love dice. We all love dice, but I'm autistic. And so sensory, it was a really good sensory thing. And then I started seeing, you know, handmade dice on like Instagram and stuff. And it's like, hey, that's really pretty. And then I started looking into, you know, what you need to do that. And the thing with me is that I get an idea and I just kind of charge forward with it. Not necessarily putting a ton of thought into it at the very beginning. I'm just like, hey, this is really cool. I'm going to do it. And I, I did. <laughs> it took, I think, two months from having the idea to starting to cast dice. So it was, it was a fast process. How did you learn? YouTube. YouTube and trial and error. I have learned most things that I do from YouTube. So don't don't ever don't ever knock on what you can learn on YouTube. <laughs> but yeah, I've been doing it for almost a year now. I think yeah, October is like the anniversary of when I first started casting dice, and November is when I first started selling dice. So it was it was a quick turnaround. Yeah, I, I caught on I caught on pretty quickly, which is. Lucky for me, I think, um, you know, it's still, it's been a process, you know, figuring what's best. My dice are so much better now than they were a year ago, but I definitely caught on pretty quickly to, you know, how it works. And it's, it's a way more intensive process, I think, than a lot of people think it is. Well, do you mind sharing a bit about what that process is? Well, I work with resin, which is, you know, you have to be very careful with it. And so putting together a design, depending on the complexity, can usually take me 30 to 45 minutes for the design to get it all in the mold because a lot of the inclusions I use, I use a lot of like little bones in mine because I love it. They all have to be placed very carefully, you know, exactly where I want them. And then they go in the pressure pot for 24 hours. After that, every single die has to be sanded and polished and inked. And that process per set usually takes me like close to eight hours to finish a whole set from beginning to end. Sometimes more if it's a bigger set or if it's a difficult one, some of them end up with, end up being kind of stubborn. Sometimes they have little holes in them that need to be patched. It's, it, yeah, every single set of dice usually takes me close to 12 hours. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> intensive. It's funny. It's like, okay, you cast it, you let it pressure cook, and then you sand it and ink it. And it's like, I think if people have no idea how much patience it takes to ink oh, a yeah. set. Oh my gosh. That is that is honestly my least favorite part. I love them when they're done. They look great when they're done. I hate inking them. It's <laughs> I definitely am someone who enjoys casting them more than I do enjoy finishing them. <laughs> yeah. So I'm always fascinated uh, with inclusions and, you know, just kind of how that even works. Like you mentioned, you've got little bone things. And then I feel like some of the pictures I've seen, you've had some like kind of sparkly. Yeah, that is like colorful foil. That one's pretty easy to use, especially if you have like tweezers or something to put exactly where you want it. But it does stick to everything. So if it sticks somewhere you don't want it to, it is, it's stuck there. <laughs> it's it's going to be hard to get up. But other inclusions that I've used, I get tiny animal bones on Etsy from, you know, ethical sources. Um, I think right now I've been using mink ribs and rabbit toe bones. And they are so light that it doesn't affect the balance of the die at all. It doesn't make like one side heavier than the other or anything. So that was really cool. I've also had like little plastic skulls that I put in there. And I feel like there was something else. Yeah, I had little 3D printed raven skulls for some of my sets. I'm out right now, but 
that one was really fun as well. Oh yeah, that is cool. (laughs) So like, do you have a timeline on how often you're trying to restock? Like I know you also offer commissions, so. Yeah, because this is my full-time job, this is like my sole source of income. I try to do a set like a sale at the end of every month, just to kind of bring in the money that I need to get through the next month and, you know, make more dice. And I try to have five to 10 sets per update. So yeah, pretty consistently, uh, my timeline is at the end of every month, usually the last weekend. And then for commissions, um, I usually open those on my Patreon first, because that is one of the things they get is early access to commissions. But when I do have commissions, they usually roll them in with my sale or kind of post them around the middle of the month. I usually will put posts up when I have commissions open. Okay, cool. Do you have a certain number of sets that you try to have when you do your monthly restocks? Or is it just kind of whatever you're able to get to that month? Yeah, five to 10. Sometimes it's just whatever I'm able to get to. Sometimes, you know, I've had supply trouble sometimes that sets it back, but usually around five to 10 sets. Okay, awesome. You've mentioned that you've got like a Patreon a couple times. Do you have... One Patreon where you've got stuff for both D&D Disability and Three Fades Dice. Do you have two different Patreons? Like, how do you balance that? I do have two different Patreons. One is for D&D Disability, and it is less active because it's kind of more as a way of a way for people to give support because all of our mechanics are free. I don't charge anybody for them. And with the Patreon, people get usually a month early access to the mechanics. And then for Three Fates Dice, that one is kind of more hands-on for me. I try to post a couple times a week. They get posts about uh, the process behind making different designs of mine, kind of broken down in photos and explanations, early access to my shop updates, usually a day or two before it goes public, early access to commissions, uh, a bunch of stuff like that. And then my $10 and up tiers actually get dice every certain amount of months. So special dice there. My $10 is a D20 every three months. My 25 tier is a pair of D20s every other month. And then those are the only ones that are open right now. I do have a $45 a month tier. They get a full set and a chunk every four months. But that one is currently full. That's really cool. I did not realize that you had all those tiers that let you give out more dice. Yeah, that's been, it's been fun. I think I have like 12 D20s I have to make and send out this month that I'm a little bit behind on right now. But (laughs) yeah, it it can add up really quick. Yeah, I bet. Do you have molds that let you do a whole bunch of D20s at once? Or is it predominantly molds that are like a set at a time? Yeah, the molds that I have are mostly an eight piece set at a time. Most of them have the D2 in it. And then I do have a few single D20 molds. Eventually, I hope to have a mold that will do like four or five at a time, but I have not been able to get to that yet. Gotcha. Are you making the molds yourself or are you finding them somewhere else? Yes, that is my other least favorite part of dice making is making molds. (laughs) So the way you get started in dice making is you get a set of what is called master dice. And it is basically all the dice you want. If you want just a seven piece set, you can get a seven piece set. You can get a D2 chunk, you know, different shapes. I have some like stretched shapes. I don't have like the classic like D10 and everything like that. Mine are a little bit like elongated. So you can get all kinds of shapes and fonts and stuff like that. And then you make the molds out of silicone, which is, it's a process. It's definitely not my favorite process, but it is very, very necessary to keep up with, you know, having good molds. They wear out, you know, it's a mine wear out usually after about 20 or so sets, but it is a constant 
it's a constant process. How long does it take to make a new mold? Um, well, the silicone I have, it takes four hours to cure. I usually leave it about five just to make sure it's like fully solid, not any sticky anymore. And you have to cure it in two parts. First part is the bottom part of it, which has the dice in it. And the second part is like the cap that goes on the top. And so they have to be poured separately because you have to put like a layer. I use the Vaseline around the edges of the top face of the die on the first, on the bottom mold. And you pour the silicone over that to make the cap. It's it's a two-part process. So overall, I'd say it takes about 12 hours to make a mold. Most of that is waiting though. So it's it's yeah. not like hands-on <laughs> the whole time, but it does it does take a hot second. Yeah, no, I, it just continues to add to the intensity that it, does. it takes to... It does. <laughs> yeah. What was the decision process to make it to where you could do the dice making full time? Um, honestly, from the beginning, I did... I had a different job that I did before. It was kind of... It was my first small business. I worked in the fiber arts. It was not as sustainable. And with you know my disabilities, I could not keep up with the physicality of it. And so when I moved to dice making, I had always gone into it with the intention of it being a full-time job, which is not easy because it is not, you know, a small business can kind of be a little bit unstable as far as security of income. But I have been the whole time been building it up, hopefully as the intention to make sure that it could be a full-time job for me because it allows me to work from home when my disabilities, they won't, I can't really work a regular job anymore. So I really, (laughs) I had to make this work out. So everything I've been doing, you know, building up different designs, the Patreon commissions, everything like that has been with the intention of making it a full-time job and, you know, sustainable for me. Yeah, that's amazing. And I I mean, I know that that takes a lot of time and a lot of work and energy. Yes. (laughs) And then you added all the D&D disability creation on top of that. Like, you've got a lot going on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Got to get better at balancing (laughs) it. But yeah, the dice does take priority because it is my full-time job. That makes sense. So I... Have a question that I like to ask in all of my interviews, and you can totally choose to answer this about either one or both <laughs> uh, three fade dice and D disability. But one thing that I just like to learn about is when you look back over the last year, couple of years uh, that you started working on these different big projects, what would you say has been the most challenging part? Hmm. Um, well, for D&D disability, I think it's just kind of been, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who really, really hate what I'm doing. And honestly, getting past that and, you know, avoiding those types of people and making sure that they're not interacting with the good people that follow has been, it's been a lot. It it really gets to you at first, but now I'm just kind of over it. <laughs> Yeah, the, the people in the community who do not want disability inclusion are, are very loud about the fact that they don't. Have you figured out ways to deal with it? Do you just ignore them? Do you address it? Does it just depend on how you're feeling that day? Yeah, sometimes I'm like, you're extremely irritating. You're getting blocked. Sometimes, you know, if they're bringing up a point that comes up a lot from these people, I will go ahead and address it. Usually not like on their tweet, but in a different thread. For the most part, I try not to interact with them directly because they will just go on and on. And it's always the same points over and over again. You know, it's not realistic. It doesn't make sense. You know, nobody wants to play a disabled character. And I'm like, well, 
I have all of the proof on this platform that people do, but you know, go off. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the, mo- I don't know, for me anyway, when I see that type of stuff, like the most irritating one is it's not realistic. I'm like, you're talking about a game in which you're shooting fireballs. Out yeah. Of your I'm hand. like, there's dragons. <laughs> you can cast a fireball. You can, you know, all of this. And like, realism is the last thing <laughs> that she should, that should be like your last argument. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's old. <laughs> Definitely. Which, again, I know that it has to be such a frustrating thing to have to deal with, but you are doing amazing work. And Thank you. There are a lot of us out here that very much appreciate that you are doing it. Thank you. Well, to flip this around, because screw the trolls, uh, <laughs> what would you say has been the most rewarding part of working on these supplements, making these dice? For D&D disability, again, I can cover both, but um, it has definitely been the positive response, like the people who, you know, I get DMs sometimes saying like, hey, I was in tears reading this because this is me. This is I'm able to make myself in a character now. And I didn't have that option before. And knowing that I've, you know, touched people that way, um, given them this opportunity has been really, really rewarding. I bet that's going to be really special. (laughs) Mm -hmm. For the dice, it is probably just the excitement. People get really excited about dice, and I love that. (laughs) You know, people get, I usually get videos when people buy my dice of them, you know, throwing them, you know, the nice good sounds. And also, the other most rewarding thing is when I have tried a new design, and I'm not sure how it's going to come out, and I pull it out of the molds, and it is exactly what I imagined. That is awesome. That is my favorite. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> I am definitely like in awe of just all of the different dice creations that are out there. And yeah, there are some amazing people out there. Sometimes, you know, I think, you know, hey, my dice designs are pretty cool. And I know they are. And then I see someone else who does them. And I'm like, I don't even know how you did that. This is sorcery. This is incredible. I'm like, as someone who understands the, you know, the process behind it and could usually kind of figure out how they did it. Sometimes some people put them out there. I'm like, I don't know how you did that. And I think there must have been some sort of like divine intervention or something. (laughs) Hey, things to strive for. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely inspiring. (laughs) Well, okay. So as we kind of start to wind down, Are there any upcoming projects that we haven't talked about that you are excited about and willing to share? Yes. So I haven't been talking about this as of recording, but I am kind of expanding my dice business a little bit in partnership with my sister, who is an amazing artist. She's so good. I will send you her link also. But we, she did a bunch of artwork and we are expanding into dice and D&D themed stationery, which I am super excited about. Um, I'm in the process of ordering all of that, and it's launching on November 5th, I think is the date. Whatever that first Friday is. But I'm so excited. Oh, that is cool. Okay, when it, so when you say stationary, do you do you mean like envelopes? Do you mean letters or like notepads? What do you mean? In the, in the launch, um, we're going to have three different notepad designs, three different cards, and then a lot of stickers. We love stickers, so we were doing a lot of stickers. And then like a full page like planner notepad or like a weekly planner um so it's like planners eventually I hope to get into like notebooks and stuff expand on the cards that we're doing but we had some really fun D&D themed ones that I'm very excited about that is super cool yeah definitely uh, send me a 
links to that and I'll mm-hmm. be able to add them to the show notes. <laughs> I'm very excited, yes. <laughs> Anna, this has been a really fun conversation today and I'm really happy that I got to chat with you. If people mm-hmm. want to find you, find d Disability, find your dice, where should they go? For D&D Disability, the best place is on Twitter. It's just at D&D Disability. Um, I'm most active there. We do have an Instagram, but I have lost track of that one right now. For Three Fates Dice, I am I have a website, threefatesdice.com, and then it's also Instagram at Three Fates Dice. No spaces, no anything. And then my personal works, my adventures and stuff, I do on my Twitter, which is at the Anna Two Ns M H. Awesome. Yeah, I will put all of those in the show notes. But seriously, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. Thank you. You just finished another episode of Role Play Grow. To check out the show notes from today's episode, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, I would absolutely love if you would leave me a review and share this episode with your friends. Your review might even get featured on an upcoming episode. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at LightheartADV for our business account or at KetraWCR for tweets on gaming, my dog Bowser, and other random shenanigans. You can also find us as Lightheart Adventures on both Instagram and Patreon. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Role Play Grow.